Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. But I want to say one thing to the American people. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. I never told anybody to lie, not a single time, never. These allegations are false, and I need to go back to work for the American people. Thank you. It is famous low-res video forever imprinted upon our memories and embedded in our culture. In his dark suit, white shirt, and red pattern tie, President Bill Clinton, flanked by his Vice President Al Gore and his wife Hillary, delivers his finger-wagging denial to cameras in a Roosevelt room full of supporters, then turns on his heels and exits the door. When we say Clinton scandal, of course this is the one that springs to mind. The alleged relations, the denial, then the apology, impeachment, and acquittal have all left Clinton's name and presidency forever entwined with Monica Lewinsky. But fact is, the Clinton scandals didn't start or end with sexual proclivities. Theirs was an administration that saw scandal spotlighted at the White House front and center in ways previous presidencies, or for that matter, the American people, had never experienced before. In our episode today, we find out why. everybody, it's Don Wildman. Welcome back to American History Hit. The two-term presidency of Bill Clinton, William Jefferson Clinton, 1993 to 2001, is either remembered fondly as the longest period of peacetime economic prosperity in American history, or it was a cynical era, racked by scandals, exploited by opinion media on a 24-hour news cycle. Depending on your politics, you'll likely see the Clinton White House one way or the other. As with all American history, there is much afoot to discuss, but today we are concentrating on the scandals. You can see it this way. America got ill during Vietnam, coughed during Watergate, ached through the hostage crisis, lost sleep over the Contras, but it was during Clinton and his political scandals that we as a nation contracted some weird ailment we still haven't kicked, one that gradually diminished any semblance of a middle ground in U.S. politics. Let's get some perspective, some fresh air on the subject, and talk in historic terms. Guided by author Professor Peter Ling at the University of Nottingham, currently at work on a study of presidential scandals. Greetings, sir. Good to have you. Good to be here. 
I caution listeners today that our conversation will surely involve language of a sexual nature, also suicide, misconduct in various directions, as is often gone with U.S. presidencies, not to mention kingships, men in power. But Bill Clinton was like a magnet for this stuff. Peter, to what would you attribute this remarkable quality of the man? For some people, you have to look at the family background of Bill Clinton. He is born after his father has already died in a car wreck linked to his alcoholism. The dad has been married on a number of occasions and has had other relationships. Mm. His mother is married four times. There is a kind of good time culture in Hope, Arkansas. And so Bill Clinton has it somewhat in his genes to go where the pleasure is. Mm, yeah. Plus, there is a sense amongst a certain group of people who rise to the top in history that they seem to be entitled, that they are just special people to whom the rules do not normally apply. And the sense of who they are is reinforced by the way they interact with people. So most of the people who have met Bill Clinton one-on-one -on -one say that he's the kind of guy who, when you're with him, you think he is interested in nothing but you. You are the most important person on the planet. And that kind of charismatic quality translates into personal relationships as well as political relationships. Sure. He is a, a lightning rod of sorts, culturally, I suppose you could say. Yeah. And that's an important factor which we'll discuss throughout this conversation, how he comes along at a certain moment in American culture and certainly in the American news media. And how that plays out in his presidency is really as indicative of maybe his own qualities, but also the changing nature of the country. Most historians are perpetually looking in the rearview mirror. They see what they see in front of them linked to what's behind them. Yeah. And so you can't really understand Bill Clinton without, as you say, linking him to the kind of disillusionment that Vietnam and Watergate brought and also the changes that were coming in the 80s. So if we go back to the 80s, in 1980, when Jimmy Carter, as an incumbent president, is going to be challenged by Ronald Reagan, we have Senator Ted Kennedy as a potential challenger on the Democratic side. And the Republicans are all ready to bring up Chappaquiddick yeah. and what happened to Mary Jo Kopechnik if he gets the nomination. And then in 1988, when Gary Hart is the front runner of the Democratic pack, the Republican campaign manager is Lee Atwater, who has cut his teeth on negative campaigning in South Carolina. And it's Lee Atwater who gets Gary Hart rather foolishly to go with one of his girlfriends on a boat called Monkey Business. <laughs> you can't write that. With the T-shirt, Monkey Business. He's got this blonde on his lap and they get the photographs and that becomes the story. And Gary Hart has to pull out. And interestingly, after a sit-down conversation with one of his close aides, who says, who are the women who could tell stories about you, Bill? Bill Clinton decides not to run in 1988 when he sees what happens to Gary Hart. Interesting. Opposition research, as it's called, is becoming a big feature of the 1980s. And you can't help feeling that over the course of the 1980s, with Iran-Contra and with other things, partisanship is sharpening 
below the surface of Ronald Reagan's geniality. Reagan can come over as the nice guy, but below the surface, there are people who do not think that Democrats are really good Americans. And some of them, like Newt Gingrich, will become significant forces going into the 90s. The Democrats are equally desperate because they've been told, and it looks the case, that there is an emergent Republican majority. So they need to change, and Bill Clinton is the face of that change. He wants to bring back some of the Reagan Democrats and to reroute, build again, a solid base for the Democratic Party in the South, in the West, which otherwise seems to be going over to the Republicans. And as in all matters American politics, there's money. <laughs> there's a lot of smart money going into conservative think tanks and right-wing media over the course of the late 80s into the 90s. And as you pointed out in your introduction, the media is changing. You've got cable news. I mean, one of the things that kind of sets the tone for Bill Clinton's presidency is the Clarence Thomas hearings. Oh, my Lord, yes, of course. As a Supreme Court justice. Yeah. All seems to be going on smooth. And then Anita Hill comes along and says, that man sexually harassed me. She says this to Joe Biden, who's chairing the committee. She says it to Ted Kennedy, who's sitting to his left. And it becomes magnetic television. So even before we get to the election in 92, America is already feeling that scandals in the air. Yeah, it's becoming normalized, which was so uncomfortable. I recall as a, I guess, a 30 year old guy in those days, the news never stopped suddenly. And we all caught up with this in the Clinton era. Let's drill down on Bill himself. Some personal history of his, politically speaking. He was a phenom, this man. Important to realize what an intelligence we're talking about here. 32 years old, he's the state attorney general of Arkansas. He is twice elected governor in his 30s, becomes a political star at the Democratic conventions, runs for president, eventually elected in 92. This is against George Bush, number one, and he's only 46 when this happens. The first of a baby boomer generation presidents to come. George Bush the second would be the next one. This man is a formidable individual. As he you is, mentioned before. but I think what we need to also think is that he's part of a team. So you can't really, at this stage, particularly when you think of his development in Arkansas, you can't separate him from his wife, Hillary Clinton. Of course. Who is very much a hands-on manager of the Clinton career. And she has her own policy ideas. One of the things that they bond over is that they just love politics and they love policy. They love the idea that these are the problems we face, but these are the solutions we have. But somehow in the 90s, that became a bad thing. They were painted negatively for that reason. And you step back for a moment and say, what was wrong with that? Yeah, the problem, I think, the more I've read about this and, and studied it, the problem seems to be that although Americans want their leaders to have solutions, they don't really like their leaders to tell them what to do. Mm, yeah. It's an interesting distinction, but they particularly didn't like Hillary as a kind of tough mum telling them how to live their lives. And particularly if she was going to be the kind of woman that somehow went against their expectations of what a good woman would be. 
So by 92, Hillary has become something of a lightning rod for the campaign. But Bill brings a lot of baggage as the baby boomer candidate. So it's not long into the campaign when they say, did you actually smoke marijuana? And of course, Bill being Bill doesn't give the straight answer, yes, I did, but that was then and this is now. He says, yeah, but I didn't inhale. Yeah, it's his equivocating quality, which was a a giant signal to any normal American who can smell that in a second. Like, that's a liar we're talking about here. And he clearly was doing it for because he's on a national stage and in a game that none of us play in real life. But nonetheless, you can understand that sort of personality right as soon as you see him, and it seems disingenuous. So let's get down to these various scandals that we're talking about. First of all, I really want a quick disclaimer. Every presidency has had major scandals. Teapot Dome. The names are famous. They date back to a time, but importantly, as we discussed, they were a time when newspapers were the avenue for this, or radio, or some sort of very limited amount of media. And it was more easily managed by the politicians and the relationships they had with the media. This is now a time when the gloves are off and this has become a free-for-all and everybody knows it. And so everybody's getting used to this new game and how it's being played. So when they come into power, this new power couple, they bring in the baggage, as you say. And there's a whole opposition that's ready to feast on these scandals because they're already a big story. He's been in power in Arkansas for a decade. Whitewater scandal is the first one that comes up. We can sort of segue to the other ones real quick because they're all kind of part of this era, the 93-94 period. Tell me about Whitewater. It was a real estate deal, right? It was. Basically, this is the moment in Arkansas where Bill is the governor and the governor has a fixed salary of $35,000. And Hillary in particular doesn't think that's anywhere enough to save for college and get Chelsea a decent education or them a decent pension. So she is the one calling the shots when it comes to financial matters because she's the working lawyer with the Rose legal firm. And to some extent, the Whitewater adventure comes out of people probing her background because unlike a presidential candidate before Donald Trump, she did not have to reveal her tax returns, just Bill's tax returns. So it's when they start looking at Hillary's dealings that they start stumbling into real estate speculation with Whitewater. So Whitewater is a story during the campaign. Jeff Gertz is the journalist who breaks the story, and he's interested in savings and loans because that's a big story at the moment, the failing savings and loans, the SNLs. And the Bushes don't want to touch it because Jeb Bush in Florida has been involved in a failing savings and loan. So it's although Gertz gets the story, he doesn't really get a campaign issue out of it in 92. But it's there and everybody knows it's there and it's murky. And the people that the Clintons have teamed up with, the McDougals, are Jim and Susan. And they are the people that Bill and Hillary know through politics. Bill has worked with Jim in Senator Fulbright's office as an intern. And they are into this real estate speculation scheme where you're going to buy land along the White River in the Ozarks and basically break it up into small plots that you can sell for second homes or tourist shacks. Vacation homes, yep. It's the Ozarks. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's the unfortunately 
it doesn't go well in terms of the pickup on these plots. And Jim McDougall, who has a savings and loan called Madison Guarantee, starts moving the money around to keep all this plate spinning. And that's where it gets dodgy. But as I say, it doesn't really take off as a story during the presidential campaign. Much more as a story that kind of gets the media attention is Jennifer Flowers. And this is where she's, this is the first lifting of the immense rock that covers Bill Clinton's womanizing. Bill Clinton was once asked why he didn't just open the closet door and get everything out there. And he said, if I open the closet door, the skeletons will crush me. There are just so many. So Jennifer Flowers is someone who says she's had a long relationship with Bill Clinton. And she's even got some tapes of their phone calls, which corroborate her story. This is during the primaries. And so in January of 92, Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton go on after the Super Bowl massive audience and Hillary basically says that there may have been difficulties in their marriage but they are working on it and that she is standing by her man which is what you would expect a politician's wife to do but it's also it seems insincere it seems more of a political maneuver and equally she is supposed to be the feminist it was so uncomfortable we almost didn't want to know oh my gosh just leave us out of this But that's where we're talking about the news media now feasting on this. This has become its own industry of ways. So that that basically works. Bill gets the nomination. And fortunately for him, probably decisively in terms of winning the election, there is this third party candidate in 92, Ross Perot, a multimillionaire businessman who gets an enormous share of the vote, something like 18 percent. Of the popular yeah. vote. Well, he predicted something that was going to happen, which was a Yeah, know, and so he spread across the country, and that gives Bill a very comfortable margin of victory in the Electoral College in 92. And they think they've got the mandate for change. They're going to come in and give everybody affordable health care. That's their kind of banner platform. But it doesn't go well. So they come as this new, fresh-faced couple to Washington with big dreams, but they get mired in scandal almost immediately. Exactly. There's another discussion of Vince Foster, who was is such a sad story, really. Vince Foster was an aide to Hillary Clinton, mostly, and a longtime associate. He was actually her senior partner. He was already yeah. established at the Rose Law Firm, and he was sort of a mentor figure for her at the start. Yes. So it's only when they right. move from Little Rock to Washington that Vince Foster and another Rose attorney called Webster Hubble both move with the Clintons to D.C. And there's the position of the White House counsel. And the White House counsel, actually Bernard Nussbaum, who knows Hillary back from her days preparing to indict Richard Nixon over Watergate. But he becomes the White House counsel and therefore takes Bill's legal problems And Vince Foster is supposed to be looking after the First Lady. But significantly, he looks after all the paperwork, including anything related to Whitewater and other things. But before they get to Whitewater, they manage... And this is something with the Carters as well, when they came to Washington. They don't know Washington well enough to be able to slot in comfortably. 
So some of the Washington establishment think they're not doing enough socializing to make them feel part of the system. And equally, Hillary suddenly emerges as this person who's going to solve health care, which is a bit cheeky, given that there are people on Capitol Hill who've been working on this for some time. So there's two little scandals. One of them is Nanny Gate, which is they want a female attorney general. And the first two women they put up for the role, Zoe Baird and Kimber Wood, have hired illegal immigrants to work as nannies. And that gets their confirmation pulled. And then the second thing, which is possibly more damaging with the press, is the Travel Bureau. The Travel Bureau has been running fast and loose with its account and its bidding procedures and all kinds of little financial irregularities that suggest corruption. So Hillary tells Vince Foster to deal with it and seven members of the Travel Bureau are fired. Worse, the replacement company is Arkansas-based, so it all looks a little dodgy. And most of all, the previous Travel Bureau had been very accommodating to the press in terms of what kind of accommodation and perks they got as they went along for the ride following the president on his travels. That goes. And so the press are not feeling kindly towards the Clintons when they lose this little benefit. And the Clintons are now posing as these models of probity, rooting out corruption. So that certainly leads us back to Whitewater. Okay, so I'm keeping track here. We got Whitewater, We've got the Travel Bureau. We've got Vince Foster, who incidentally ends up shooting himself in a park uh, terribly. Yeah, and that's in a sense where Whitewater becomes a human interest story in the macabre media climate of the time. Basically, it's Foster who has to deal with the Travel Bureau. It's Foster who's got to deal with Hillary's secret healthcare task force. It's Foster who's got to deal with Whitewater. He's the one who's supposed to buy Jim McDougall out and keep everything quiet. And it's too much. He's a quiet lawyer type from Little Rock, Arkansas. He hates being in Washington. The Wall Street Journal comes after Vince Foster in July of 93. And in mid-July, he's wilting under the pressure. Linda Tripp, who we'll hear more about, is working in the office opposite. And she sees him leave his office at one o'clock he goes to Fort Mercy Park outside of D.C., puts a 38 revolver in his mouth and blows his brains out. That story gives all the other scandals momentum because the speculation around Vince Foster's death is fervid in the extreme. They look at the angle of the gun. Why isn't there more blood? Everything is conjecture. There are some people who put it out there that this is a black ops operation where the Clintons are getting rid of people who are not doing their work properly for them. They become uh, the target of a massive amount of conspiracy theorists, though those people would not have had the soapbox that they now have with social media, etc. And all of that is coming on strong. Yeah, it's clearly Rush Lindbaum is out there. So talk radio is a big thing. And we're just getting into the rolling news of 24 hours cable. And then by the mid 90s, we'll be into the internet and the Drudge Report. Let's talk about the opposition's response to this. This is the era that always brings the name Ken Starr to mind. 
Kenneth Starr, the prosecutor from Texas, who then becomes this celebrity lawyer who's going after the Clintons one way or the other. It becomes this kind of, if this doesn't work, then this doesn't work. Tell me how he emerges in all of this. Well, it, it, I mean, he is one of these people. He's a member of the Federalist Society, which is this group of conservative lawyers who are trying to make sure that the Constitution goes back to first original principles. And he has worked in the Bush administration as a solicitor general, where his clerk is a man called Brett Kavanaugh. And he's so partisan that initially, when the demands for a special prosecutor come up, we're in an interesting period in that the independent counsel law has lapsed. It had a sunset clause. And Bill Clinton has said he will sign a new one as part of his campaign pledges in 92. And the Republicans, after Iran-Contra, with the special prosecutor not yet reported on Iran-Contra and George Bush's involvement in that, have said they don't want it. So it's the Clinton's decision to have a special prosecutor. And he's, he is appointed by Janet Reno, the attorney general, and his name is Robert Fisk. And he's a moderate Republican. And he looks at the Vince Foster suicide and says, it's a suicide. There's no conspiracy to be found. He looks at the travel bureau and says, yeah, there were problems there. And they made a reasonable decision. And he takes quiet depositions from Hillary and Bill about Whitewater and says to Congress, back off. Don't have your own hearings because that will muddy the waters if we have to go to prosecution because that's what happened with other special prosecutors. So he's being a very clear and focused guy. But then Bill signs the Independent Counsel Act and the Republicans say, right, it is now longer not an appointed position. It has to come from this three panel of judges. And Supreme Court Chief Justice Rehnquist has just coincidentally appointed a arch-conservative North Carolinian as the chair of that three-man panel before this decision is made. There's a Republican majority, one Democrat, two Republican, and they choose Starr as the man to replace Fisk. And Kenneth Starr previously has said he doesn't want the independent counsel law, and then he becomes the independent counsel. 94, there's the congressional uh, elections. It is the historic wave that hits Washington, that eventually brings in Newt Gingrich as the uh, Speaker of the House. This changes the whole tenor of everything, that we need to go after this stuff more fervently. But it really does raise the temperature, doesn't it? Oh, definitely. I mean, contract with America is partially economic, but it's also about morality, which given... Newt Gingrich's own background is an interesting <laughs> phenomenon. Anyway, Kenneth Starr is part of that package. He clearly is somebody who belongs to the evangelical cause. And when he hires people to replace Fisk, he gets people who are of the same mindset as him. So the guy who um, takes over the Little Rock operation where white water is bubbling along is a man called Hickman Ewing, who's also a born-again fundamentalist, and Jackie Bennett, who becomes the kind of hitman of the OIC team in Washington, D.C., he says he becomes 
part of the OIC because Clinton is corrupt. So this is not a, a kind of objective, non-partisan, innocent till proven guilty operation. This is becoming something that's out to get the Clintons. They emerge from these years, 93, 94, into 95, as, as it is a remarkable thing to watch because he becomes skilled not only at getting important things done in the office as presidents, Hillary survives as well. They somehow wander out of this wilderness that sprouts up around this presidency, and they're still in a strong position, so much so that he's going to win with a strong vote a second term to office. It's a remarkable thing to have gone through. Yeah, he is the comeback kid. He becomes much more pragmatic. Hillary, for political reasons, begins to be less conspicuous as a, after the failure of the health care reform. And instead, they go for kind of step-by-step -step things on welfare reform, on trade, international trade, boosting employment, job training. Um, so Bill Clinton, by 96 has a pretty good record to run on, and he gets a, a second mandate. He not only has a, a strong record by accomplishments, if you were favoring him, but also you saw how he dealt with this new factor involved in being an American president. You had to be adept at fielding a whole world of, of challenges that weren't there before. Yeah, he still has the charm and the charisma. And if you're in his camp, he can win you over. But clearly, there are some people who are never going to trust Bill. Bill, for because them, is still Slick Willie, who's selling yeah. them something. He's a, he's a snake oil salesman. Because the second term is coming. Yeah. And bubbling along in the background, we still have sex scandals. Thanks for listening to American History Hit. We'll be back with more after this. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Peter, the first term was an amazing journey through a new world of right-wing opposition through media, 
The Clintons obviously had a lot of baggage from their lives. They are an enigmatic couple in so many ways. We're now really familiar with them. Along we go into term two, 96, and the big stuff is still yet to happen. Yeah, and certainly what has happened is that bubbling along in the background from 94 has been a suit brought by a woman in Arkansas called Paula Jones. And in 97, she gets permission from the U.S. Supreme Court to bring a civil action against a sitting president. That is a remarkable stride for the court to take, and it's clearly got all kinds of implications. She alleges that Bill, virtually on first meeting, has exposed himself to her, dropped his trousers, and requested oral sex. And she has declined. But she, under oath, says she can corroborate this claim by pointing to a distinctive curvature of the penis. I don't even want you to go on right now because and that's how we felt back then. Like, we don't even want to hear about it. And yet now we live in an age where all this is out on the table. Oh, my Lord. And it's so indicative of the times we live in. That's the real theme here of this conversation. When I finally back up and try to get some perspective, this is the beginning of everything we live with today. It starts before this, of course, in other ways, but really the salacious stuff. When this when this starts to develop, this Jones case, another thing that I think foreshadows what is to come is that Jones is being helped by various right-wing groups to bring this case and take it all the way up to the Supreme Court. She has opinions from Robert Bork and uh, Charles Olson, both of them very high-ranking jury, jurists, Supreme Court nominees. They wouldn't give their opinion to some Arkansas woman for nothing. So it's clearly an orchestrated campaign. So she actually turns down a settlement that would give her half a million dollars because she wants to be vindicated. And someone like Susan Carpenter McMillan, a right-wing PR person, is guiding her hand. So in that period, we have the Paula Jones case bubbling along We have an accusation by a woman who's worked at the White House called Kathleen Wiley, who says that Bill had groped her when she went to see him in his office. And she, too, has confided in the ubiquitous Linda Tripp. And she has already come to the attention of the Independent Council because she was the last person to see Vince Foster alive. So Tripp now reveals that there is another woman who could tell the truth about Bill. And her name is? Monica Lewinsky. There you go. So begins an amazing story, which has continues to play out, quite honestly, because we start to bleed this over into the Me Too era, which is a remarkable thing that wasn't going on at the time. And, oh boy, would he have been suffering even more than he did as a result of, the, of that which happened. Monica Lewinsky worked in the White House. For anyone who doesn't know, let's talk about it in the most general details, shall we? Okay. So basically, Monica Lewinsky gets a job in 1995 as a volunteer intern in the White House because her mom has lots of wealthy friends and she gets a job answering the mail in the chief of staff's Leon Panetta's office. And she likes living in Washington and she likes being in the White House. And so she becomes part of a small group 
who was still there in November of 95 when the shutdown happens. So inadvertently, Newt Gingrich brings Monica Lewinsky into contact with Bill Clinton because she meets him during that period. And as she recalls it, on November the 15th, she encountered President Clinton, who invited her into his study. She's 22 years old at the time. And with consent, he kisses her and invites her to come back later. And when she does, their intimacy continues, to quote her later grand jury testimony, to include, quote, everything up until oral sex. There you go. It goes too far. It is really uncomfortable to hear about even today. This man in a very powerful position, decades older than this girl, is obviously taking advantage of a situation. And yet she has not, in, in later years, characterized it as such so much. She's taken her own responsibility. As I said, in, in another age, the one we're living in now, he would have been canceled at least, if not exiled to a, an island. But he gets away with it for what reason? Well, I, I'm not sure he does get away with it ultimately, but um, he basically, it's a mutual relationship. It goes on for about a year. On her side, there's definitely some genuine emotion and feeling to it. But it's by May of 97 that Bill is beginning to think, hang on a minute, this is probably not the shrewdest move. And even some of the people around him in the White House are beginning to think maybe there's a problem here, given his track record. So they move Lewinsky to work at the Pentagon, where she goes and meets Linda Tripp who's also working at the Pentagon. The relationship ends in May of 97, and her mother has now moved from D.C. to New York City, and so she decides to move to New York City at the end of 97, and she writes to Bill and says to him, the least you can do is help me get a job in New York. And he contacts his Mr. Fix-It, Vernon Jordan, who helps her line up some interviews. And eventually she takes a PR job with Revlon, though it has to be said the salary she's offered is less than she's earning at the Pentagon. At that moment, at the end of 97, the Paula Jones case has reached a critical juncture because when Paula Jones rejects the settlement, her attorneys are so kind of nonplussed. Why aren't you taking the money and we'll get paid as well? That The judge gives them permission to withdraw but get paid and says, I don't know why you're not taking this settlement because you won't get as good a deal from the jury necessarily. And they get a Dallas-based conservative group to run the Paula Jones case. And they start looking for other women who have worked with Clinton who might develop what is known as a pattern of behavior to corroborate Paula Jones's story. And Jane Doe number six is Monica Lewinsky. So in December 97, she gets a subpoena saying you've got to testify in the Paula Jones case. And that's where we get into really murky territory because basically she's saying, when Vernon Jordan asks her about it, he, she says, I never, I never had sex with him. 
I don't want to be involved in a scandalous case. Get me out of this. And he says, OK, you can file an affidavit saying you don't want to appear, but you pledge that you had no contact with the president of an inappropriate character, no sexual relations. That is also being leaked at the same time via Linda Tripp to the Office of Independent Counsel. And they are in a desperate situation because they can't get him on Whitewater. There's nothing come of that. They've got the McDougals. They've got another governor of Arkansas, Jim Guy Tucker. And they've got a guy called David Hale who is involved in dodgy loans. But they can't get the Clintons. No one is prepared to testify against the Clintons. So the, the case against the Clintons is hanging by a thread on the Paula Jones case. And now they've got Linda Tripp, who says she's got tapes and can get Monica Lewinsky. And they grab her. They literally grab her and say, if you do not testify, because that will give you immunity, we will send you to jail for 27 years because we believe you have not only lied in the deposition, a false affidavit, but you've also given Linda Tripp a memorandum that tells her how to file a similar affidavit and not testify what she knows. So those two things will get you 27 years in prison, they say to this 24-year-old girl by this stage. And they get her mother, who's come down to try and help her daughter. And they say, you too could be liable to prosecution if you knew anything about this. So that's how the case starts to build. But because Clinton is denying having relations with Monica Lewinsky, the IOC, the Independent uh, Council, decides that they need all the details they can possibly get about this relationship. Yeah, this is when it gets really ugly. And it ends up, we can talk about details, but we really hear about all the sexual details of what they, that, what transpired, which is so gross. But uh, suffice to say, he ends up very famously on camera during a press conference saying, I did not have sex with this woman. And we're all rolling our eyes at this point. And this is where it really crosses the line. You know, we've been living with this man as president for years and years, a whole term of presidency. Those of us who voted for them feel one way about him. The other part of the country doesn't. But one thing has emerged. He's obviously a guy who can deal with, he can field a lot of problems at once. It's an amazing capacity. And the more salacious and more de detailed these sexual descriptions become, the more we realize they're dealing in something that really has nothing to do with the nation's character. You know, it, it, it's about him. They just want to get him. That's how everybody starts to feel in the country. It's a very precise thing because they know that he is scheduled to give a deposition in the Paula Jones case, and they have to get Monica Lewinsky to try to get her testimony before he testifies on January the 17th, 1998. So they don't tip him off that something is afoot. So he does testify. The judge in the Paula Jones case gives Bill Clinton a very precise definition of sexual relations. And at the heart of that definition, which refers to various parts of the body that may be touched for gratification purposes, at the heart of that definition is intent to give pleasure. Bill Clinton is convinced that 
having oral sex performed on him is not with the intent to give pleasure to the other party. Okay. <laughs> so that's not sexual relations. So that's why he says, I did not have sexual relations with this woman. I see. He's earlier said, there is no sexual relationship. And people say, there is the present tense there. There is no sexual relationship. Maybe there was a sexual relationship. So in another point in testimony, he says, well, it really depends on what your definition of is, is. He is a master of the fine technical argument. Or it's just pathetic, please. We could have handled, and we could handle today, as now we understand, a whole lot more than maybe he thought we could or whatever. It was just a, an age when there was still a vestige of, of delicacy about all of this stuff that we no longer even buy, thanks to this, largely. Yeah, I think this is, in a sense, one of the crux, why it becomes something more than gossip, in that, to some extent... This progression of scandals is about the way in which the presidency is taken off its pedestal and put down on the floor. So nobody looks at the president after Clinton and thinks, yeah, he's a good guy. Here's a bit of a conspiracy theory, politically speaking to me. How much of this do you feel in all of your studies was a carryover from Nixon, from the takedown of Nixon? How much does this play through and resonate to Clinton? Well, I mean, it's, it's clearly the case that when Nixon resigns, the majority of Republicans want him to resign because they feel that he has tarnished the presidency. They feel also, and I'm looking from this perspective, from our perspective now, that he's bad for the party. When Reagan gets involved with Iran-Contra, there's very few Republicans who want Reagan impeached or want anything bad to happen to Reagan because he's good for the party, he's good for the country, and they think he's bringing the presidency back in terms of effectiveness from where it fell after Watergate. So they really resent Iran-Contra, and Bill Clinton, to some extent, pays the price for that with the special prosecutor. After Bill Clinton has run the gamut of scandals over two terms, particularly this one coming right at the end of his second term, I mean, he is unable to, f to pass over to Al Gore a record that can be just about policy. It's still about the Democrats and scandal. In the book, I actually say it's also about the 2000 election, which is the closest election ever in American political history and has its own scandals to discuss. But after that, you can already see that there are many Americans, there's really low turnout in 96, there are many Americans who've given up on politicians. They really think they are just con men. They don't tell the truth. They make promises. They don't keep them which is yep. to some extent why contract with America takes off. So we are on this path towards what we've got today, which is basically a polarized nation of tribes who only believe the truth that they want to believe in. Peter, it was very famously stated by Hillary Clinton specifically that there was a real conspiracy. She called it a vast right wing conspiracy against the Clintons. Was there any validity to that? Well, there was certainly a confluence of interests that kept the scandal bubbling along. And particularly when it comes to Lewinsky, there was some active collusion between interested parties. 
But by saying it, she in a sense reinforced the message that the Clinton would not take responsibility for their own actions. And of course, that side could just point to the other side and say, well, there's been a vast left wing conspiracy for decades. The the press was famously seen as liberal. And so it's just finger pointing at that point, isn't it? Yeah. Tellingly, we're not even going to drill down into the biggest story at the time, which is the impeachment of Bill Clinton. Now we think of impeachment as a fully politicized maneuver. It starts then, uh, which indeed it, it was, in my opinion. It becomes a normal threat that can really steer things one way or the other. There are divisions amongst the Republicans and some Democrats were unhappy with Clinton in uh, 1999. They want him to be censored for his behavior but they don't want him to be impeached. They don't believe, and most people objectively would agree, that Monica Lewinsky is not Watergate, and therefore this is not the high crime and misdemeanor that impeachment is supposed to punish. But the Republicans really need to get Clinton punished. And to some extent, even though He is not punished because they don't get the two-thirds majority you need by quite some margin on the two articles on which he's impeached. They nonetheless still make that the story. This is the second American president to be impeached, the first one since Andrew Johnson in 1868, and he will carry that stain forever. We will not discuss uh, his role in bringing peace to the Balkans. We will not discuss his role in changing a massive deficit into a surplus that can be used to bolster vital social security measures. We will talk about Monica Lewinsky instead. Exactly, as we've just proven 30 years later. Peter, thank you so much. I hope in summary, people, listeners take away from the fact that we're, we've struggled. I, we have tried to steer this conversation towards the more meaningful aspects of this to our, our history, which is to say... 1990s, early 1990s, everything starts to change, especially in the way presidents are covered, let alone how they are gone after in, the, in politics. And we are living with the legacy of that today. Anyone who's much younger really needs to understand that this stuff has a very specific source, and it is these times. So I invite you to, to delve into Peter Ling's work. What is this presidential study that you're doing about scandals, Peter? Okay, it's coming out March the 30th, and it's called After Watergate. Oh, there you go. I would perhaps, since I signed the contract in 2015, I might have called it before Trump Mm -hmm. rather than after Watergate. But nonetheless, it does try to suggest the way scandal changes in a way that we would only understand it for the Trump years. Well, 30 years from now, we're going to be talking about that. That's for sure. Thank you, Peter Ling. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of American History Hit. I hope you enjoyed it. Please don't forget to like, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of American History Hit. Please follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us, and you'll be doing us a big favor. Don't forget, you can also listen to all these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com slash subscribe. As a special gift, you'll also get your first three months for just $1 a month when you use code AmericanHistory at checkout.